Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. <laughs> All right, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast, episode number 230 with Dr. Dawson Church. How are you, Dawson? Dale, we if we have half as much fun on the show as we just had for the 10 minutes before the show, we're going to inspire the world. <laughs> I, love, I love that. Now, <laughs> now, you were born ready and you've just told me that. And I absolutely love that. Now, I normally start the podcast to get a little bit of a background and things like that. And I'm sure we'll get to that. But you've just come back from a two-month meditation retreat. Now, that that is an epic amount of time. Do you want to explain a little bit about that? Well, these states, these elevated emotional states you can reach in in really focused meditation are highly addictive. And like I, I'll take, go to the other end of the spectrum, far from a retreat, this woman called Tony Tomlinson, one of the thousands of people who've sent us email thank you cards in the last few years. And she wrote, Dawson, I'm a single mom. I am burned out on life and mothering. I am in high stress mode 99% of the time. I failed every single meditation program I've ever tried. And when I sat down to do your meditation, seven steps of eco-meditation, I told myself, Tony, you're just going to fail at this too. And as we had to work through the steps you gave me in your guided meditation, when I hit step three, tears of bliss began to roll down my cheeks and I was in ecstasy. I was in that place I've always wanted to be. I'm so grateful. And I'm going to do eco-meditation now every single day. And so Tony is one of thousands of people who've said this. And we've now, because we've done so much research with MRIs and EEGs and brain scans and hormone and gene assays, we now know how to help people get to that place really, really quickly in a few minutes. And so these states are feel super good and they're highly addictive. I mean, they, they feel so good in your body. You want to do it again and again and again. And another two women I'm working with on another big project said, they said, we want to do your meditations, but we're going to do them together because I need an accountability partner to help me stay on track. And they didn't need accountability partners. After they'd gotten hooked like Tony, they just kept on doing it. So you, you need a meditation that is so engaging. You'll stick with it day after day after day, and then you do literally get addicted to those feel-good neurochemicals. Serotonin, I mean, these are some of the most pleasurable hormones and neurotransmitters known to man. Serotonin has the same molecular structure and fits into the same receptor sites as psilocybin, magic mushrooms. So people who are microdosing, they really don't want psilocybin, magic mushrooms. They really are looking for serotonin. And you can boost your serotonin dramatically with the correct kind of meditation. You can boost dopamine, your reward chemical that comes from, from cocaine and heroin. You can boost uh, your levels of anandamide, same chemical structure as THC fits into the same receptor sites as marijuana's key psychoactive mo molecule THC, ayahuasca, you have the whole package there. So when you're in this meditation, like Tony, and you're in this ecstasy, you feel so good. You wanna do it, do it the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and the fifth day. And after a while, it makes sense to like, just take it for a week, go someplace, go to the beach, go to a cabin in the woods, and just immerse yourself in this bliss brain state for a while. And so I've been doing this now for 
30 plus years, usually for about two weeks. But this year I said, I'm such a, the craving's too strong. Dale, I'm such a hopeless addict this year. I am gonna just give myself two months in Hawaii, swimming with the dolphins, jumping in the ocean, walking by the beach, and I'm just gonna immerse myself in these states for two months. And I did. Now I got home to a ton of work, so I've had oh, enough focus on maintaining that state because <laughs> of all, all the stuff that piled up 300 feet high while I was gone, but <laughs> I came back in very good shape. <laughs> I can imagine. So is it's probably going from, you know, one extreme to another. You've gone from this state of bliss, you know, where you're calm, everything's amazing. And then you come back to reality. Um, what's that been like? Because it's like that's that's extreme. Do you know what I mean? That's going from one extreme to another. Like how, how have you handled that? Well, there's a uh... There are some really wonderful studies out of Harvard, and Harvard really has played a key role in meditation research for you know, 40, 50 years. And um, there's a researcher there called Teresa Amabile. And Teresa Amabile has found that when you're in that state, even for the 15, 20, 30 minutes that Tony Tomlinson was in, that it shifts brain function. And it shifts brain function, and the brain actually maintains that state. It fades gradually, but it takes 48 hours to fade. So you go there for 30 minutes and for 48 hours, you have increased flow in your life. Another giant study by the McKinsey Consulting Group found that people in flow in these elevated emotional states that you get in meditation, they became five times as productive. And a big US government study showed that they have five times the ability to solve really complicated problems of the kind we find in our works, our, our, our work, our families, and so on. So our problem-solving ability goes up, our productivity goes up, our creativity goes through the roof. So you come back to reality after your two months or your two days or however long it is. And now you, even if that you've done that half-hour meditation, you have 48 hours of heightened productivity after that. So you're going to, I had one woman who emailed me and said, Dawson, I don't think I can spend the time doing the meditation. I emailed her back and said, Lisa, you can't afford not to get that 48-hour productivity bump. If, you, if you're worried about devoting half an hour to this, believe me, you'll make it up with compound interest in the first few hours. So you do have these times of withdrawal from your usual activities. But man, when you hit the office, when you're talking to your kids, talking to your wife, when you're working with your, your parents, when you're in a, in a complex situation, you have so much problem-solving ability that you just transcend to a new level. And your whole life then starts to transcend. And doesn't that take a long time? Again, 48 hours, you feel the difference. Mm. And I think, yeah, just thinking about that, the word flow, um, that you can get flow in a number of different ways. And a lot of work I do, Dawson's around, you know, play, connection and things like that. And and when I'm in play, you know, I'm in flow, everything else stops. And essentially, that's sort of what you're talking about there. Absolutely. And there are two routes into flow. That state of play where everything's unfolding, that's where your your intention and your action just merge. And you're just in this, this, this state that geniuses are in, that people who are you know, artists, musicians, sports people, that's one route into flow. The second route into flow is meditation, but meditation of a particular kind that has enough flow triggers built in. We used to think that flow was just what something that happened. So I'm running a long way and suddenly my middle of my run, 
flow kicks in or I'm playing a long jazz riff and suddenly I'm in flow or I'm walking through the woods by a stream and suddenly I'm in the state of flow or I'm, I'm making love and I'm with the person I love and suddenly I'm in flow. But we now realize that those are accidental ways of being in flow and you can trigger yourself to be in flow. And when you get used to flow triggers and get used to these wonderful neurochemicals that flow releases, then you, 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 you construct your life so it's full of flow triggers. Like, you know, my life is just, I look around me and like there's, there's a hummingbird feeder outside the door, the window, that's a flow trigger for me. There is a beautiful hillside out there. That's a flow trigger for me. I have a favorite uncle and um, there's a, a portrait of him painted by his daughter in front of me. That's a flow trigger for me. And so there are all these things I surround myself with. So from the moment I wake up in the morning, I'm bombarding myself with flow triggers. And then, you know, it's, it's actually really hard to have a bad day, Dale. <laughs> oh, I, I, I agree with that. And I think every day you set up your intention. So if you want to have a good day, you can. And essentially those triggers that you've just mentioned, the hummingbird, the mountains outside, picture of your favorite uncle, they're basically, you know, gratitude triggers as well, aren't they? That, you know, things that you choose to be grateful for that you are excited about in your life. Gratitude and whatever is moving you into positive thinking, out of negative thinking, out of, out of stress. The other thing I want to stress, stress here as well is that um, there are two components to this. One is that it's great to move into self-transcendence. And so we can move into these elevated emotional states. Meditation can bring us there. And we have to also do the difficult, deep, and hard work of clearing out our psychological trauma. So before I got to these states, I had a whole 10 year research career. I spent 10 years working nonstop on PTSD research, working with thousands of veterans with PTSD. I helped midwife studies of um, treating women who are victims of gender violence after the Congo civil war. I worked uh, on facilitating people going to R Rwanda to work with the orphans whose parents had been killed in the 1994 genocide there. So this isn't like, you know, all, all love and light and you just, just fly to the moon and feel good. You have to also remove those stressors because if you try and get to the elevated state and you've got a whole bunch of unhealed trauma in the subconscious and the unconscious and even intruding into consciousness every once in a while, then th that's going to stay there. Unfortunately, going up here does not heal what's down here. You have to also do the hard work to pull those things out of your past, out of your memory systems. And then this wonderful phenomenon called memory reconsolidation and extinction uh, kicks in. I've written two books about this. And so then you have this, this process of literally bringing up those traumatic memories, working on them. And my favorite tools are EMDR and EFT, wonderful therapies, eye movement, reprocessing and desensitization and emotional freedom techniques. They both involve tapping or eye movements or a combination of both. So you do that, you tap away all those old traumas. And then that's when you can move to the elevated states without risking a dark night of the soul experience or some kind of serious um, dark side as well as that ecstasy you're feeling in meditation. So you have to do both of those things. Yeah. And uh, just listening to that, obviously 
the research would have been incredible and you would have had some great results, but also that would be really hard because you're dealing with some horrific things. Those 10 years, some of those people's trauma, like how do you, you know, obviously you're using that for benefits of your research and it's helping these people, but how do you process that as well? So you're not taking on, you know, that trauma and, and not getting rid of it yourself, Dawson. Therapists, nurses, doctors, uh, hospice workers, psychotherapists have high rates of burnout and many of them, those professions have high rates of suicide. And it is hard not to take on the trauma. I mean, you're with, with, with suffering people every day. If you're a doctor seeing four patients an hour, by the end of, a, say, an eight-hour day, you've seen a huge number of traumatized people. And how do you avoid taking that on? I, I, really good, I've had several good conversations with, with, with famous therapists, like there's a woman called Judith Orloff, who's written a number of books from this perspective, Donna Eden and David Feinstein, who wrote Energy Medicine. And um, what you do is you work on yourself while you're working with them. So for example, if you're using EFT, that involves tapping like this on acupuncture meridians. And when you think of trauma and you then tap, that interrupts the brain's processing of that as another trauma cue and instead neutralizes it. And you tap, the, the person you're working with is tapping while they're doing that, but you're tapping too. So that means that you as the coach, you as the doctor, you as the nurse, you as the therapist are literally discharging your own trauma as you're watching them and as they're tapping. We also have mirror neurons in our brains that fire when we see other human beings doing similar things and our mirror neurons start firing. And so we're discharging our trauma as they're discharging theirs. And so like I can put in uh, sometimes a 10, 12 hour day working with highly traumatized people, but I'm tapping away the whole time. And then I don't absorb all that negative energy. Before I learned tapping Dale, I did. I, I was doing energy work. I couldn't do it, never do it professionally. I was a volunteer. I couldn't do it for a living for as, as, a, as a regular profession because I was so affected by people's energy. But once I learned tapping and learned eye movements, learned all these wonderful tools we're using now in somatic therapies, now I can do it for 10 hours straight with, with traumatized people. And I feel just great after that because you're discharging all of your own stuff while you're working with them. And it's essential you have this. Otherwise you have burnout, you have stress, you have anxiety. And it's hard not to take on the energy of their suffering. Mm, it, it's very interesting like as you're saying that and i've done a bit of tapping myself but um i come from a teaching background and teachers have a big burnout rate as well dawson do you know what i mean like and they don't go through the traumatic side of things that like your nurses your doctors um your paramedics like you just mentioned but um the stresses and things of their job are extremely high like that and particularly throw a pandemic in there and things like that that um you know you're getting those issues as well so that's very interesting that you say you're working on yourself while you're helping others. Um, it, it, how do you how do you learn that? Or is that like you said? It, is that something that you just learned over those ten years when you're working with these people, and gradually you realise that I can't do this work unless I'm actually filtering it myself? Well, I've done a lot of research. I've been the principal investigator in over 20 clinical trials. I've had some role in over 100 clinical trials. And so we've really figured out through the research what works now. And I've written several books about this. Uh, my, my most, the book most people use is called the EFT Manual, 
And it's like a 400 page little how-to manual for how to do EFT. There are 48 techniques we use. And so we worked out that methodology really well. In fact, it hasn't changed much over the last 25 years. We keep looking for ways to improve it. We keep tweaking a little bit, but the basic method, clinical EFT, is unbelievably rock solid. So we, we train people all over the world. I have training classes. Our, our professional class for coaches and, and therapists and doctors and nurses is only four days long. And in four days, you can learn all the fundamental 48 techniques, and then you apply them in your own life. So this is a very highly structured, it's kind of like a prescription in medicine. You have a formula that works. And we actually call it the basic recipe. If you apply the basic recipe, in most cases of trauma, people's traumatization just, just goes away. Like I was working with one woman on a, on a Zoom call the other day, and uh, she was extremely angry at her neighbors. She said, I can't sleep. They're doing construction. Sometimes they're hammering away at midnight. I'm so angry at them, and they're not recognizing my needs. I'm not getting sleep. I'm not doing well. It's affecting my life. I'm getting depressed and anxious, but, you know, endless, and, and, and I can't get them to stop. So we did some tapping. I said, tell me that story. Start tapping again. What do you feel in your body? She tapped while she recited that. Then she suddenly flashed to an event from her childhood. She said, I'm just remembering I was in kindergarten. I was five years old. And every day my mom used to pick me up from school and I used to stand there waiting for her. She picked me up. And one day she forgot. And I stood there for a long, long, long time. And I got more and more and more panicked and more and more stressed and more and more anxious. And so we were tapping on a mom not picking her, picking her up from school. And so we tapped that away and we measured people's stress on a scale from zero to 10. Zero, no stress, 10, maximum stress. And she went right down to a zero on her mom not picking her up from, from school. She said, you know, my mom was just busy that day. That She didn't, didn't mean anything. There's no, no, no neglect there. She just got really busy and forgot. So suddenly it went from the story of abandonment and betrayal to, you know, just an, an, a normal human thing to forget once in a while. Her whole story changed. So I circled around then and I said, well, now let's talk about your neighbor. And she's then said, you know, I realize I need to go talk to my neighbor and I need to not carry the energy of resentment and blame and anger I need to be straightforward about my needs. And I'm sure if I just do that without bringing all the emotional intensity I'm holding here to the conversation, it'll be an easy conversation. We'll set some boundaries and everything will be okay. So her current life situation changed completely when she went and worked on her past. And that's a typical example of the way it works. You don't need to do a lot of work on your present. The reason you're triggered now is because of something that happened in your past, could have been neglect, could have been abuse, could have been some kind of abandonment, but you go fix the past thing and suddenly you have huge leverage of your present problems. And honestly, Dale, most of them just go away. You're no longer triggered by those people. And now you're an empowered adult. You say, I can go and talk to my neighbors, present my needs. You aren't that you aren't doing it in re reactivity as a projection of those childhood wounds from being left standing at the school gate when you were five. So that is the way to take care of your past, grow up, heal your trauma, and then you start to move into those ecstatic states. Yeah, and I'm just listening to you, Dawson. Do you find that that's a lot of the people you work with that are angry about something or they've got a chip on their shoulder or something? It's because they haven't dealt with something in the past and it's coming up. Is, is that 
like that's just what I feel like if I there's been an issue before that I'll mask it or push it to the side, but eventually it boils over. Is that the same with most people you work with? Yeah, and hardly anything we're upset with in the present has anything to do with the present. And Eckhart Tolle has a wonderful concept called the pain body. And he says the pain body is what we carry around with us, all this unhealed emotional wounding. And to be happy, our pain body has to die. We have to dissipate the pain body. And yet the pain body, of course, does not want to die. So rather than focusing on our own pain body, we point to other people and say it's them. I'll tell you a funny story about today. <laughs> so true. today yeah. I did this today. So uh, one of the uh, concepts I've been working with in my own personal spiritual growth is giving up complaint, giving up all complaint. And so today I wanted to take a bike ride out in the country. It's kind of really cold day in California, but I was bundled up in warm clothes. And so I drove on this beautiful road called Spring Hill Road. And this road is full of potholes, I mean, huge, big axle busting plus potholes. And the town I live in, Petaluma, is famous. It's called the pothole capital of the world. We pay extraordinarily high taxes and they buy us virtually nothing in city services, including having terrible pothole hold roads. So every time I drive Spring Hill Road and all the potholes and bouncing around, I like, <clears throat> you know, <laughs> how many thousands of dollars do I pay in taxes? And all I get for it is potholes. So I said, you know, today, <clears throat> what can I do other than complaining? So I thought, well, you know, for about half of Spring Hill Road, for stretches of 20 or 30 meters, there are no potholes. Let's start with just giving thanks for the fact that there's a 30 meter stretch, not a single pothole. So let's just cultivate some serenity. But then I had a patch with potholes. So what am I gonna do now? Then I thought, well, you know, I don't wanna beat up my car. It's actually my wife's brand new car. I don't wanna drive it over these rough potholes. So I'll drive slowly and I'll dodge the potholes. Now I'm driving mindfully. Now I'm thankful for the potholes because they're giving me a chance to be mindful. So now the smooth stretches are making me happy. The potholes are making me mindful and I've given up complaint. Now, has that done anything for the potholes or the road or the taxes? It's done nothing for that. It's done a huge amount for our mental state. And that's how we, when we make it about ourselves, take responsibility for our own actions and thoughts, the outside world and our experience of it totally changes. Mm. And it just really comes back to taking ownership for mm. everything in your life. If you're not happy, it's no one else's fault. It's on you. You can choose that. Um, do you find that that's probably, that's so simple what you've just said there, Dawson, but it's so hard for people to gasp? It's hard. And, you know, like I'm married, I've been married for a long, long time. I have kids, I have grandkids, and it's easy to get critical of your wife and your kids, your grandkids, it's easy to get critical of your body. We all age. It's easy to get worried about aging. It's, it's easy to worry about, you know, we've had the pandemic, we've had the economic crash. There's always stuff out there to worry about. And so that's why it's necessary to, to cultivate this core of resilience. And that's why the subtitle of my book, This Brain, is the neuroscience of cultivating those characteristics, resilience, creativity, and joy. You wanna cultivate creativity. And I mentioned earlier those, those studies showing that creativity just blossoms when you're in that state and joy, but then resilience. And resilience is really interesting because if you cultivate resilience, then you move from a state of feeling okay and able to handle problems 
to a trait. And a trait is when a characteristic, a behavioral characteristic has become hardwired into the fabric of your brain. You literally have neural pathways in your brain. It's not your mind. Your mind, by holding that state for long enough, has rewired your brain. And now the software of your mind has literally changed the hardware of your brain. And now you are a resilient person. And so that's what you wanna become. You wanna become one of those people who is resilient, have that hardware, and then whatever happens, stuff happens. I mean, stuff has happened in the last year, stuff will happen in the next year, stuff happened 10 years ago. I mean, there's always stuff to worry about. And the only question is how resilient a brain have you grown? When you are resilient, you can meet life's challenges and you have equanimity and you actually have joy. I wrote this brain the year after my home and office was destroyed in a wildfire. And that was about as traumatic as it gets. My wife awakened me at 12.45 a.m. I looked at the alarm clock. I looked out the window. I saw a glow on the horizon. I walked outside and there was a wildfire racing down the hillside opposite us toward our home. And we had a huge uh, country property with an office building and multiple outbuildings and the home all on one big piece of land. And I just yelled at her that we're going to get it. We're getting out of here right now. We literally had time to sprint through the house, grab our car keys, throw in some clothes, run to the car through an uh, absolute uh, tornado of, of embers. And then we got to the car and as we drove out all the trees above our all the branches above our heads were catching fire. I mean, it was it was a nightmare scenario. We drove out at full speed for three hours, three three miles, to to get out of out of this just firestorm, and um, it was it was a, a it was just a, a devastating time. Five thousand four hundred houses were destroyed that night. Twenty two people died because the 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 fire was moving so rapidly. Uh, eight of our neighbors died because they couldn't, I mean, they went to their garages to get into their cars and the power went out and they couldn't get out of their garages. I mean, it was a nightmare night. And of course, it then took us, after everything was destroyed, we lost all our possessions. Uh, it then took us a couple of years to really recover from that. And yet the year after that, I mean, a few months after the fire, I'd be, I'm, again, I'm meditating every day like I always do. And I am in absolute ecstasy. And it's like, how do you get that happy when your life really sucks by every objective measure? <laughs> I mean, look at these neurochemicals. It's like anandamide is the same chemical as THC and serotonin is the same chemical as psilocybin, magic mushrooms. And so you're getting a dopamine, dopamine, your reward neurochemical is the same kind of system going on in your brain as heroin and cocaine. That's why you are literally stoned in ecstasy when you're in these advanced meditative states and you are so resilient, you grow those neural networks. And when you have the fire and you lose everything, I mean, you definitely grieve. It's not like I, I'm, you know, I'm just numb about my eight neighbors dying. I mean, it was horrible, terrible uh, for them to have, have, have to sort, sit through the ashes of their homes to find their, their, their bones. I mean, it was grim. It was, you know, we were affected by it emotionally, but that resilience, you've grown all of this, this wiring in your brain and you can sit there a few weeks and days after devastation, lose, losing everything and, and be in bliss. I wanted to explain that to people. So I wrote Bliss Brain that year, and that's my newest book. And that explains how you get that resilience as well as the creativity and joy. Wow. So I can imagine that's a very traumatic story in every, in every aspect, you know, that 
people have lost everything. They've lost lives. And for you to be able to, you know, change that, your mentality, your mindset, be so resilient and bounce back, surely you would have seen some people that maybe are still devastated and still really struggling with that, Dawson. And is that hard for you? Because you know, deep down that it can be changed. And if you work hard enough on yourself and your brain, you can fix that. Do you find it hard when other people, I don't know, because you can't tell people what to do and you know that, but do you find, is that hard for you to sit with when you can flip it so quickly? It's probably the hardest thing in my life, Dale, see people suffering. And um, I see friends suffering and they're saying, well, I'm suffering because of COVID or I'm suffering because of the financial crash or I'm suffering because of my uh, my arthritis or I'm suffering, suffering because of my retirement fund um, not growing or I'm suffering, you know, I mean, they have all these external reasons. And I know that you don't suffer because of those external things. Joy is entirely something that is self-created. And sure, you can be affected by things going on around you. But I, I just, you know, if I have one area of real dissatisfaction in my life, it's my inability to convey to people, despite my book, despite my workshops, I teach workshops, I, I, I do public talks all the time, I write these science books, I write blogs, it's my my, I struggle with my inability to convince people to do this. I'll say, you don't have to suffer. Just tap and that trauma will go away. And yet they, they don't do it. We have, we have a wonderful project called the Veteran Stress Project. And <clears throat> over the last um, more than 10 years, we've treated over 10,000 veterans with PTSD through our charity called the Veteran Stress Project. And yet for every one veteran who we treat, who comes through our six session treatment program and is cured of PTSD. For every one veteran that, that comes through, 12 veterans are referred to us and decline treatment. Only one in 12, wow. one in 13 says yes. We just don't believe that it's possible for us to be this happy. We don't believe it's possible for us to shed trauma. And I just wanna wake people up to the fact that you can be in bliss despite all these things that happened to you, even how the worst stuff happened to you. I mean, I tell people in chapter seven of the book on post-traumatic growth, that for many people losing everything, tragedy actually is a spur to increased personal satisfaction. Two thirds of people go through a tragedy and actually grow as a result. And that's your option. But I, whenever I hear people saying, I can't do this because of that or that or this or the government or the corporations or my knee or my health or my genetics or whatever it is, even your genes. I mean, my first book, The Gene in Your Genes, shows that 15% of your genome is fixed. 85% of your genome is under the control of your volition, your consciousness, your behavior, your, your habits. You have control. You may have that BRCA1 gene for breast, for breast cancer. You may have the gene for prostate cancer. You may have the gene for heart disease, but that doesn't mean the genes turned on. Whether or not the genes turned on has an enormous amount to do with your beliefs, your lifestyle, your assumptions, and whether you heal that trauma. So we have we have this enormous lever. You know, Archimedes said, give me a lever big enough and I will move the world. We have that leverage right over here in our minds. And most people are using a lever the size of a matchstick. <laughs> and that just frustrates, that, that, that bugs the crap out of me. So I, I wake up every morning and I just, try and, I just try and wave around the lever and say, 
use this stuff. It will change you. You can change. Science shows you can change. Please just try it one time and you'll feel those changes in your body. Mm. So wh- why is it that are people, why are people skeptics? Why, why don't people want to try something? If things aren't going well from Dawson, wouldn't that be a reason to try something? Or is that people are sick of being disappointed or what do you relate that back to? The human inertia and our uh, satisfaction with things just being uh, just good enough to keep on going. So we have a lot of inertia built into the system and, and we, uh, we often need a tragedy or some sort of major loss in, in, in AA, they call it hitting bottom. You have to get hit bottom to make you change. But for goodness sakes, <clears throat> don't, need, don't require a life crash to help you motivate you to change. Just change every day naturally, change, change with joy. Joy changes the brain. So don't need that kind of, of a crash. And most people, it, it does take that and, and they're, 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 they have a hard time changing. They have a hard time believing how much better they can be. I'll, I'll give you an example. Okay, here's an example I just wrote about today. Um, so I looked up the jump height of the average player in the US National Basketball Association. This is this collection of teams. These are the the elite athletes in basketball. And the average vertical jump height of those people in those teams is 28 inches, about two feet, okay? That's the average jump height. And then really talented jumpers, like there's a guy on, on the team here local to me called Steph Curry. His jump height is three feet. The best jumper of all time is Michael Jordan, who had a four foot jump height. I imagine that just right off the ground, he can jump a vertical four feet. So that's like within the the realm of the known. We know that the average player can jump two feet. Exceptional players like Steph jump three feet. The best ever player jumped four feet. When we put adepts into MRIs and measure their levels of happiness waves in the brain, and there are various brainwave configurations that tell you this person is in happiness, so the average person is down here. We put these meditation masters, Franciscan nuns who've spent many years in prayer and contemplation, Tibetan monks who've spent more than 10,000 hours in meditation. We put these masters, people like, you know, 10,000 years ago would have been Rumi and Hafiz and Ramakrishna and St. Francis and St. Catherine. I mean, all these, these people who reach these ecstatic states. And so my question as a scientist is, how ecstatic were they? How, what, how do we quantify these? And now science is saying, okay, we don't want to know just that you're in ecstasy. We want to know what <clears throat> rung on the ladder you're on. We want a number over here. And the numbers, Dale, are literally unbelievable. From baseline, their happiness wave configuration in their brain goes up 25 times, 25 fold. 25x the happiness of the average person. So this would be like me telling you the average NBA player can jump two feet. 25 times that is 250 feet. You know, if I told you that a player could jump 250 feet up in the air, you'd say, Dawson, nobody can do that. (laughs) And that's the problem I'm facing in all my books. I'm saying to people, you can jump 250 feet. You can be 25 times as happy. Really, you can. I promise you, you can. The research shows it, not just one study, many studies of many people. And we can get you there in just a few weeks of practice. And it is so hard to realize that gap between here and 25 times here 
is, is too big. I, I try and get people into just trying it one time with a 15 minute or 20 minute meditation and feeling the change in their bodies, just one or two times. And that's the way of hopefully encouraging them to go further. But the gap between the known and the unknown is just too great. The, when I say ecstasy, I'm not talking about having a good day or feeling good. I'm talking about the same kind of mental state that you would be in if you combined all of those drugs, THC and cocaine and heroin and alcohol and ayahuasca and magic mushrooms, mix them all up in a brew, swallow them or smoke them. And that's just how absolutely ecstatic you can get. But that is so far removed from everyday reality that that's the, the challenge. I, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to neuroscientists colleagues and we're just wrestling with this challenge. How do we let people know just how much better your life could be it's hard because the gap between those two points is so great. And do you think that's why people are skeptical? Because you're 25% like increase, like not percent, sorry, times. Do you think that people like that just can't happen? Is it because it's such a big increase? It just seems unbelievable to people. Yeah. Too big a gap. I, I want to say, you know, I, I did a lot of EFT research starting 20 years ago. And uh, like I, I, I do a study and we'd spend two or three years, $100,000 to a study, and we'd send it in, we'd write it up, send it into a peer-reviewed journal, and then we get rejected by a peer-reviewed medical or psychology journal. Send it to another journal, we get rejected again. Send it to a third journal, get another rejection. And, and my colleagues would say, the study is really good. Why is it getting rejected? And I, was, I would say, because the results are unbelievably good. Uh, when we're treating trauma with EFT, I, I used to say, I wish the data showed that EFT was 20% better than existing talk therapies. But again, it's the same kind of gap. It's showing it's like over a thousand times better than existing talk therapies. And if I was a reviewer, if I were one of those reviewers, one of those journals, I would reject our paper too, because that kind of, of quantum leap in effectiveness for a therapy is hard to believe. Now, I'm happy to say that now, our papers get, get accepted by mainstream journals. They're credible. People do believe it now after they've done a few rounds of tapping. But um, again, it's that gap between the known and the unknown. And the, the message is that we can shed trauma in a few sessions. I mean, we put these people who are so traumatized into a treatment program for veterans. It's six one-hour sessions. And they walk out the other end. Their PTSD symptoms like flashbacks and nightmares are down 65%. It works for nine out of 10 veterans. One out of 10 veterans does not, does not work for, but we know it works. And so the challenge now is, is, is convincing people of that and convincing gatekeepers of that, people who are responsible for treatment programs at hospitals, clinics, and large healthcare systems. So we're chipping away at these problems. But when you're, when you're a pioneer, you have to just you know keep smiling and keep trying and... Uh, <laughs> and be and be you know, just accept that there, there will be setbacks it'll take a while for a big uh high momentum society and civilization to change we we've nailed anxiety depression and ptsd in our research we know these, these are walking zombies these, these are these are dead diseases they're as dead as cholera and dysentery and typhoid fever were a century ago it took about 10 years to convince people in 19 18, 1920, that we had the cure for these mass killers of you know, millions of people every, every year. 
But once people realized it and we began to implement those, those um, public health measures, we just wiped out those diseases just in, a, in just a few years. Same thing now for anxiety, depression, and PTSD. We have the solution. We can clear 90% of it really quickly in people. Just the society hasn't re realized we have these potent tools yet and be able to systematically apply them. Wow, so true, because let's be honest, before COVID, there was already a mental health crisis in the world, Dawson. Now you throw that into the mix and, um, you know, the world needs more of this. So you are being very generous today. You've got free books, meditation courses for people listening. Where can we go and get these? Because I know people are listening to this saying, I want more of Dawson because it's been brilliant today. And, and, and let's be honest, people want to fix those things. People want to fix anxiety, stress, because they are building up. How do we do that? Where do we go to get this free stuff that you're providing? Well, I'll go straight to the solution without much preamble. You want to learn EFT. And EFT is a self-help mechanism. You can do EFT yourself really easily. I have a little mini manual about 60 pages long. And on the back is EFT on a page. It's just not that hard. Now that'll help you with most of your superficial problems for, and, and you can get the mini manual at Dawson, my name, dawsongift.com. And you also get an immunity meditation, <clears throat> which has been shown in two clinical trials to boost your immunity. So um, get both those things at dawsongift.com. That's number one. You want to work with a practitioner, a trained, certified clinical EFT practitioner, and you want to work with, with that person on things that are too big for self-help. Little things are fine. Tap them away. You'll find yourself changing. If you have childhood trauma, if you have any kind of abuse in your background, any kind of uh, major traumatic event, you need a practitioner to help you navigate it. Also, if you have a long-term problem, uh, relationship self-sabotage, uh, binge eating, um, uh, an inability to pursue your goals or other kinds of, of ways of undercutting yourself. For those long-term problems, don't try and figure it out yourself with a 60-page manual. Just book a session with a practitioner. We have this amazing new platform called tappingplace.com. You can just log on to tappingplace.com, create an account. Your first session is free. Work with somebody there. These are live video sessions. This is the very first telemedicine platform where you can literally log on and three minutes later, you are doing a session with a practitioner. It takes less than two minutes to set up an account. You then click on a practitioner and you just start tapping with them right away. I mean, it's amazing. We had one lady, we had one lady who emailed us a couple of months ago and uh, she said, you know, I've known that uh, vaping is not good for my health. I need to give up vaping, but I've tried to give up vaping. I can't give up vaping. And she had this long story about how she tried all these, these fixes, couldn't do it. So this woman logs on to Tapping Place, picks the shortest session you can buy. That's 10 minutes, okay? 10, she has a 10 minute session with her practitioner on Tapping Place, logs off, goes and taps by herself for another 10 minutes and gives up vaping forever. And then emails us and says, you won't believe this. I gave up vaping after one 10 minute session with a practitioner on Tapping Place. Now I don't want to sort of point that, I don't want to sort of present this as the typical experience. It might take longer than 10 minutes to solve your problem, but, but EFT is really effective in short timeframes. And so it may take, you know, series of sessions or it may take longer sessions, or it may take working with a practitioner like we're encouraging that woman now, don't be content with giving up vaping. 
let's do that deep trouble work and that do a series of sessions with the practitioner. So I don't want to be saying that every problem is that quick, but there are these amazing stories coming out of Tapping Place. So for the small stuff, dawsongift.com, tap away those small issues. For larger ones, go to tappingplace.com, work with a qualified practitioner. And then for, for the book, Bliss Brain, go to blissbrain.com and grab a copy of the book. They're free there. You pay shipping and handling, and that's worldwide. We, we cover shipping and handling worldwide. Uh, the book is, itself is free, and you also get eight free meditations, which will give you that flood of anandamide and oxytocin, serotonin, dopamine, all those pleasure neurochemicals. So you, like Tony Tomlinson, try them once, you'll feel the bliss, and then you can take it away from there. Well, Dawson, you, that's basically, I'm going to call you Amazon because that's a one-stop shop. <laughs> Jeff, <bring. laughs> <The> ones, <laughs> Jeff Bezos has created it for online. You've created it for happiness. Um, right, thank you so much for uh, being on the show today, guys. This is episode number 230. If you go to the show notes, it'll have everything that Dawson's just mentioned there. You can go and click. You can use his generosity, sign up, give it a go. You've got nothing to lose. I think that's a big thing from today. So Dawson, thank you so much for being on the show. Inspirational. I love your laugh and your energy, mate and just keep doing what you're doing. Dale, it's been inspiring to me and a joy to connect with you. Thank you.